This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes, and the word this week, focused. Focused on good policy, focused on spreading our message effectively, and focused on making sure we continue to steadfastly pound the pavement for Michigan Democrats. This week, many of you have read about the Michigan Republican Party imploding within its ranks. Even though the Michigan Republicans seem to be in disarray, we will not let up or get complacent concerning our objectives or our agenda. Our message is strong, a record of getting things done for the nation and state. The Biden-Harris administration is making a difference for Michiganders with more jobs, higher wages, and lower costs. Inflation across the country has fallen for 12 months in a row to 3%, the lowest it's been in two years. Here in Michigan, Governor Whitmer and Democrats in the legislature are focused on policy that increases economic development, supports working families, expands personal freedoms, and supports small businesses. We can see the results in our daily lives. Gas prices have dropped $1.50 a gallon from the post-COVID peak. Prices for used cars, airline tickets, and even a dozen eggs are down from a year ago. If you want a job, you can find one. 13.2 million jobs have been created during the Biden-Harris administration, and there are nearly 10 million unfilled jobs nationwide. The state and nation are dotted with orange barrels as unprecedented investments are being made in repairing our roads, bridges, airports, ports, and water systems, creating millions of good-paying jobs in the process. Investments in clean energy are creating jobs and is a major step to combating climate change. We're investing in semiconductor production, moving production back into the United States. Billions are being invested by both government and industry in transitioning to electric vehicles. The president and Democrats in Congress are taking on big pharma to lower prescription drug costs and cap insulin at $35 a month for seniors. And the president has strengthened America internationally, restoring and expanding the critical NATO alliance and taking the fight to Putin with unified support for Ukraine. Republicans? They're focused on the past, working to take us back to the 1950s, and continuing to fight democracy by supporting the big lie, enacting voter suppression laws, protecting the polluters who are behind climate change, and fighting to lower taxes for the wealthy, and launching politically ham-handed investigations. There's a more detailed list of Democratic accomplishments on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. Check it out! In a moment, we'll be joined by a barrier-shattering member of the Michigan Legislature, State Representative Emily Devendorf. They are the first non-binary member of the Legislature and a powerful voice for making equal justice under law meaningful for everyone. But first, an update on some of the stories on politics and policies we're following this week with Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories on politics and policy we're following this week. Governor Whitmer has created a new statewide department focused on accelerating the state's early childhood and higher education programs as a way to bolster the state's economy and reverse Michigan's sluggish population growth. The department will be called the Michigan Department of Lifelong Education, Advancement, and Potential. 
with the ambitious goal of shepherding children through their education careers from preschool to post-secondary. The agency will be split into three offices, an Office of Early Childhood Education, an Office of Higher Education, and an Office of Education Partnerships. It's been revealed that federal prosecutors interviewed Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson for several hours in March as part of an ongoing criminal probe into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Benson told CNN, the interview really underscored, I think, the depths through which the federal prosecutors are looking into everything and the seriousness with which they're taking what occurred and the quest for justice to ensure it doesn't happen again. The prosecutors have also interviewed the secretaries of state in Georgia and Arizona, apparently investigating the phony presidential electors scheme that originated with the Trump legal team. Americans have gained some much needed relief with inflation reaching its lowest point since early 2021, 3% in June compared with a year earlier, thanks in part to easing prices for gasoline, airline fares, used cars, and groceries. The inflation figure was down sharply from a 4% annual rate in May, though still above the Federal Reserve's 2% target. From May to June, prices rose 0.2%, up from just 0.1% in the previous month, but still comparatively mild. An Oakland County judge issued a broad interpretation of a law banning undue possession of voting equipment setting the stage for expected charging decisions and alleged tabulator tampering scheme by 2020 election deniers. Special Prosecutor D.J. Hilson had sought the judicial interpretation before providing final guidance to a secret grand jury that would decide whether to authorize charges against former state rep Dyer Renton, former Attorney General candidate Matt DiPerno, and other suspects in the high-profile case. Attorney General Dana Nessel announced the Department of Attorney General will conduct the state prosecution of Rashad Malik Trice of Lansing and will prosecute all state charges in one trial. Trice presently faces kidnapping and sexual assault charges, among others, across multiple local jurisdictions in connection to the tragic murder of Winter Cole Smith and assault of her mother. In concert with Ingham County Prosecutor John Duane, Macomb County Prosecutor Peter Lucido, and Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy, charges previously announced against Trice will be reviewed and reissued by the Department of Attorney General. DTE will accelerate its phase-out of coal-generated electricity as the result of negotiations with Attorney General Nestle. DTE ends its use of coal in 2032 nearly a decade earlier than the company had planned. The settlement closes the fourth largest coal fire power plant in the United States, which is considered the third largest polluter in the country by CO2 emissions. The settlement with DTE also saves ratepayers $100 million because of accounting charges resulting from closing the plant and requires DTE to fully disclose political contributions. Criminal charges are being expected to be filed after a fight broke out at a closed-door Republican Party State Central Committee meeting. Details of the fight were disclosed by the Detroit News. The fight drew state police to the meeting in Clare and resulted in the hospitalization of Republican committee member 
Mark DeYoung with broken ribs. Another Republican-run state has virtually banned abortions. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has signed a bill banning most abortions after about six weeks. The legislation was passed during a rare one-day special session called by Reynolds for the sole purpose of enacting new restrictions on abortion. In Nebraska, a mother accused of giving her 17-year-old daughter abortion pills and helping her bury the remains of the fetus pleaded guilty to violating a 2010 state law that makes it a crime to provide an abortion after 20 weeks of gestation. Jessica Burgess, 42, now faces up to two years in prison, as does her daughter, Celeste, who pleaded guilty on related charges last month. For more information on these and other stories, go to our website, partyonthepeninsula.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyler. Thank you, Dorian. Earlier today, our Walt Sork talked with a groundbreaking member of the State House. Representative Emily Devendorf of Lansing is the first non-binary legislator in Michigan history. Before being elected to the House, Representative Devendorf enjoyed a long career in public service and advocacy. They served as Executive Director for Equality Michigan, President of the Lansing Association of Human Rights, Vice President of the Board of the Firecracker Foundation, which advocates for survivors of childhood sexual trauma, and a board member of the Lansing Area AIDS Network and the Ingham County Women's Commission. They were federally appointed in 2015 to the Michigan Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and later served as co-chair. For nearly a decade, they worked in the Michigan House of Representatives for Democratic state legislators, including as chief of staff for Representative Andy Kaloris. They also co-founded a nonprofit bookstore in downtown Lansing. As legislator, Representative Devendorf is passionate about advocating for progressive policy, particularly on LGBTQIA equality, racial justice and equality, sexual and domestic violence, women's rights, and HIV-AIDS. A proud Spartan, Devendorf graduated from James Madison College with a bachelor's degree in social relations. They've lived in Lansing for 25 years. Representative Emily Devendorf, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Let's start with probably your most unique feature as a member of the legislature. You get yeah. to walk to work. I do. I am. I'm the closest. And honestly, I get a lot of crap for it. Uh, from <laughs> the other legislators who commute because their commutes can be very long and depending on the day, pretty stressful. And everybody knows that I can be home in under 10 minutes on foot. And I make no secret of that. I, Whenever I speak on the House floor, I try to say, this is my district right here. And my home is just a few blocks away to make the point of that I live right in the middle of everything. And I always have. Your colleagues from the Upper Peninsula must hate you. Yeah, I believe. Although they do have a plane, so. That does make it a little easier. Your other distinction is you are the first openly non-binary member of the legislature. And yes. for people like me who grew up in a different era, what does that mean? 
Yeah. So I'm the second bisexual legislator. I'm the first out non-binary legislator. And for you, that would just mean that I don't feel like I fit easily into boxes and sets of criteria that we usually use to say, this is who a woman is. This is who a man is. Uh, Not because of how I express, but because they're two different things. Gender expression is how you present yourself. And I would say some people would get confused by my definition because sometimes I'm very feminine. Uh, But I also was the first female football player in my high school football team. I hate the color pink. There are a lot of arbitrary criteria. There's a lot of arbitrary criteria we use to say, this is what a man and this is what a woman is. So me identifying as binary is my way of saying it's really a lot more complicated than that. And I just don't accept the boxes that I feel have been imposed on us. In fear of ruining your political career, you and I have been friends for many years. Yeah. And I've always just thought of you as Emily, that person from around the street. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And I hope we get to a place at some point where that's how we just think of everybody as another human being that we get to know that shares a lot of the same experiences in the community. And one of the things I try to say as we're talking about LGBT rights in Michigan and the LGBT caucus gets a lot of hate. I would say most of the comments we get are hateful on social media. And some of them are, why are we even talking about this? Why does anybody need to know your gender identity or sexuality? And I always say the only reason that we do talk about it is because this society and our laws have made it something so that I don't have equity and equality because of those arbitrary things. As soon as we all can be treated equally, then there isn't a reason for me to make a major point of conversation, but it is as long as I'm not considered equal under the law. I would assume that the hate messages are external. How are things internally? How do your colleagues react with you? Do they treat you as somebody strange or somebody from whom they can learn or a combination? Yeah. In terms of my being our non-binary member, my colleagues are very open to learning and my unique experience because I do get different kinds of responses from the world. And and let's face it, trans and non-binary folks are the key folks who are used to try to divide us and where stereotypes that are really harmful and can lead to real violence. One of the main groups for that, that are used by far-right extremists in order to harm all of us in moving forward. So my colleagues are very open to listening to when I have something to share about that. And also, it is a learning curve for everyone to, to really acknowledge that everybody within the larger LGBTQIA community, we all have unique experiences, which is why we do identify differently, that my experience is not going to be the same experience as a white gay male. And that is reflected in the kind of visceral response that I receive. This has had to be a very exciting six months for you, given the legislation that's gone through on many of the issues that you have thought about for many years. And it has been a surreal experience (laughs) because I have been a civil rights advocate. I I ran the statewide LGBT organization. I was a policy staffer before that, but I was involved in civil rights my entire life since I was a teenager. I would say I am not a crier, but after we passed the amendment to hate crimes through the House, I was teary-eyed for maybe four to five hours. And At this time in history, it's a little hard to figure out why you're crying because (laughs) it is such a mixture of relief, of gratitude for everybody who came before you and did the work, and of almost regret 
for all of the folks that didn't get to experience where we are right now, where we are gaining more and more rights because of this trifecta, really with the weak that we've been fighting just for whole generations for. Let's talk a little bit about the politics of LGBTQ plus rights and what's going on in the Republican Party right now. Based on my knowledge of downtown Lansing and where you live, you're just down the street from what used to be the Republican Party headquarters (laughs) until they ran out of money to pay the rent. Are they are Republicans shooting themselves in the foot with this nationwide campaign to absolutely vilify LGBTQ plus people, especially transgender people? Yeah. So I walk by the old Republican Party on the way to work every day. <laughs> and and I do consider the vacancy of the building poignant. The majority of Americans are on board with LGBT people having equal rights, having there being no discrimination allowed against LGBT people, there being more protections for us in order to ensure that we are equally protected along with everybody else. Everything that Republicans are doing whenever they cite LGBT folks and try to rile up folks in their fear and and lack of understanding is going against the tide of the country towards just considering us and knowing that we are friends and neighbors and just trying to have the same access everybody else does. So we already saw in Michigan, it did not work. And I would like to think that they would learn in the rest of the country, but also if they refuse to learn and want to shoot themselves in the foot, then I'm here for it. It worked in your campaign, too. You didn't have a lot of money to spend on the typical campaign activities and were in a very tough primary, yet you prevailed because you've been a part of the community for so long. You've been a part of the grassroots structure of your community for literally decades. Yeah, and I always try to stop people when they're like, yeah, that was really close. You won by 25 points. Winning by 25 points when somebody has $60,000 on you (laughs) is really a pretty strong win. If somebody else had won as strongly in the city of Lansing as I was able to do without having been as present, as vocal, as on the ground as I've been over the last few decades, couple of decades, it would be insulting and it wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. But I do hope that Money is not the determining factor that you can't just come into a community and start to share who you are and introduce yourself and win against somebody who has been very consistently, steadily helping in in so many ways in the community for so long. That tie-in with the community and that history in the community echoes the story of several of your colleagues who were elected, especially some of your colleagues who helped flip the legislature. Yeah. What's next on your agenda? What do you want to do? In the House, I'm currently leading on all of our housing legislation. And considering where Lansing is and the housing crisis that we are encountering on a daily basis, whether that it has to do with our actually growing houseless community that is living on the streets of Lansing, and or whether it has to do with the lack of affordability of housing, period, and how hard it is to get into housing and stay in housing, we need to address all of the issue from every side. So right now I have more than 30 bills to address 
housing, both when it comes to rental housing, when it comes to migrant worker housing, when it comes to manufactured housing, rebalancing the power between tenants and landlords, ensuring that folks with domestic violence are able to get out of their housing more easily. Everything that we need to do to just create better access to affordable housing and create more affordable housing. Housing is an issue that impacts all of us, even if we do have secure housing now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in addition to that, we're also working on a lot related to agriculture. I'm on the agriculture committee. I'm on the the committee for agriculture with the Council for State Governments. I'm doing a lot with ag justice and black farming, urban farming, regenerative farming. I'm also doing a lot in the way of criminal justice reform right now. So we are just grinding out so many pieces of legislation, but everything we're working on is very specific to the needs of this community. And when this community, the entire 77th district, everything we're working on will benefit Lansing and DeWitt and Grand Ledge all the way up to St. John's and making sure that everybody in the district really, really has an advantage from our advocacy. Representative Emily Devendorf, thank you so much for being on the podcast and best of luck with your future endeavors and enjoy your walk to work. Thank you. (laughs) I will. That's our report for this week. Our great thanks to Lansing Representative Emily Devendorf for her longtime advocacy and leadership for human rights. We urge you to share a link to this podcast on your social media and expand the network of Michigan Democrats receiving updates on your party's work to move Michigan forward. And we welcome your comments. Just email us, comments at partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.